My name is Erin Kenny. I'm a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, holistic cannabis practitioner with a master's degree in nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Hello and welcome to today's solo episode on constipation. It's honestly hard to believe that I am just now doing a solo episode on this topic because it really is one of the most common symptoms that I see in my practice with the patients that I work with and the root causes are numerous. So today I'm going to cover what constipation is. We're going to talk about dietary factors. We're going to talk about underlying root causes of constipation, things like thyroid dysfunction, stress, certain medications that can cause constipation or make them worse. And then we're going to also cover how to address constipation given certain root causes. We're going to cover laxative use. If you have been using laxatives long-term, what are some of the potential side effects or concerns with doing so? And then we will talk about some natural remedies to help prevent or address constipation if you are struggling with constipation right now or how you might address it in the future if you do end up dealing with it. There are some people who have daily bowel movements but are still constipated. And whether they know it or not, the only real way to know is to have some sort of CT or imaging scan done, maybe an ultrasound, to look at the stool that could be sitting in the intestines. Or you could do a home test, which is most certainly not foolproof, but what you do is you start by consuming one of the following corn, beetroot, or sesame seeds, white sesame seeds. And you would consume a certain portion of that product, that food product, and then you would chart the time that you consumed it, and then you'd look for it in the stool. And you'd have to do this between meals. Otherwise, these foods can easily get incorporated into the stool with other meals, and you won't be able to visually see it. Anything longer than 72 hours is very slow transit time. You also don't want it to be too quick. So if your stool is coming out or the food marker is coming out 10 hours or less, then things might actually be moving too fast. So constipation can look different for everyone. If you're not familiar with the Bristol stool chart, uh, give it a quick little Google search and look at the different types of bowel movements on the chart. If you are a one to two, then you are likely constipated. Ideally, we want you to be around a three to four. Anything from a five to a six, and there's probably some sort of inflammation, food intolerance, or infection going on. That's a really helpful way to just look at what your typical bowel movements look like and understand what they could mean. Some of the most valuable information that you can have as a human being who is interested in optimizing their health. You should be having a bowel movement every day 
and it should be relatively dark brown. It should be the size of your forearm, which I'm sure as you're listening to this, you're looking down at your forearm going, holy cow, the size of my forearm. But it's true. A healthy bowel movement should be the size of your forearm. So you should be going every day, preferably in the morning, good length, good color. It's important to have a daily bowel movement for several different reasons. Number one is that we get rid of certain toxins in the body, and we get rid of those toxins through the stool. What happens is, is that our liver takes toxic substances or harmful substances, it neutralizes them, and then they're excreted through the bile into the intestines, and then we have a bowel movement and we get rid of them. So we need to do that regularly, right? We want to make sure that our detoxification pathways are supported, and that means having regular bowel movements. And when I say regular, I'm talking about at least one daily bowel movement. There are so many people who come into my office who thought that having three bowel movements per week was normal. And while it might be common you probably aren't going to feel your best if you're only having three bowel movements per week. The other positive of having regular bowel movements is that you physically feel better, right? If you aren't having regular bowel movements and things are just sitting in your digestive tract, that can lead to fermentation and production of gas. So you're going to feel more bloated, you're going to have more gas, maybe even more foul-smelling gas, and you're just going to feel physically uncomfortable. In addition to those two things, it's also a sign that you are eating enough. And I stress this because underfueling is a very common reason for constipation. Simply put, what goes in must come out. So if you're not eating enough, especially eating enough of the right things, meaning things like fiber and healthy fats that lubricate and carbohydrates that bulk up the stool, you're likely not going to produce healthy, regular bowel movements. There are several different types of constipation. The first one we're going to talk about is acute constipation. So this is short term. It's often related to recent changes in diet. Maybe you've been traveling, medication use, or some sort of specific life event or illness. Starting with diet, there are certain dietary changes that I often see contributing to constipation. The first one is a low-carbohydrate diet. And this is very popular when patients are pursuing weight loss. They're reducing their total carbohydrate intake. And what happens is, is that they're really reducing their overall fiber intake because a lot of these carbohydrates, things like sweet potatoes, lentils, oats, brown rice, these foods contain really great sources of fiber that help to feed the beneficial bacteria in our gut and add bulk to the stool. A second diet that's very popular that can lead to constipation is a gluten-free diet. Now, gluten-free diets can absolutely change the game for some of my patients, especially if they have chronic constipation. Sometimes having a gluten sensitivity or some imbalance that's causing you to be reactive to gluten can contribute to constipation. So sometimes these diets can be really helpful or necessary with patients with celiac, for example. However, a lot of the gluten-free alternatives, things like breads, pastas, pastries, wraps, 
They're made with very low fiber flours, things like white rice or potato starch. And these are low in fiber and they can also just really bind you up. So if you started a gluten-free diet or a low carbohydrate diet, think about really increasing your intake of things like lentils, oats, chickpeas, black beans, sweet potatoes. These foods, even if they're just in smaller amounts, can really help to prevent constipation. If the acute constipation is associated with a medication, you're obviously going to have to speak with your physician to discuss potentially alternatives for that medication. Some examples of medications that I see in my practice a lot that cause constipation or contribute to it, number one is iron. So a lot of people are aware that iron can cause digestive upset, but we don't often know how to address this. So maybe your iron levels are low and you need to get them up and a supplement is the best course of action. Take a look at iron bisglycinate. This is a form of iron that is typically less constipating and you can also try to divide your dosage and take a less dosage throughout the course of the day. The other one is calcium. So calcium, especially calcium carbonate, has been shown in research to really contribute to constipation. And This could be due to several mechanisms, but we know that it can cause some alterations in the gut microbiota. Another medication that is very common and very important is SSRIs, so selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Now, this is a class of medication commonly prescribed for things like depression, anxiety, and other mental health conditions, and it works by increasing levels of serotonin in our brain. And if you've listened to the Gut-Brain Connection podcast or Nutrition and Mental Health, we've talked about how serotonin can also have effects on other parts of the body, including our gastrointestinal system. So research has shown that clinical observations have suggested that SSRIs have been able to delay gastric emptying, especially ones like fluoxetine and sertraline. And then we've also seen research showing that they have been able to include symptoms like constipation and diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, which if you look at the label for pretty much any medication, you're often going to see some disturbances in gastrointestinal symptoms with anything that you're taking. So of course, these medications can be really important for you to take. So you should never just stop taking a supplement that's been prescribed to you or that you're taking for a specific health reason. But these are just some things to start looking at if you've started a new medication and you've noticed this recent change in your bowel movements. And we will talk about some natural remedies for constipation that may be appropriate for you to take. Maybe say while you're on an SSRI or if you have to take an iron supplement that can help you have regular bowel movements, but of course, always check with drug-nutrient interactions. The second type of constipation is chronic idiopathic constipation, and this is a persistent and long-term form of constipation that really lacks an underlying root cause that we can identify. Basically, we see infrequent bowel movements, difficulty passing stool, feeling like you're not completely emptying. I hear that very often, having these symptoms long-term. And there's many reasons for chronic idiopathic constipation. One of them could include stress. 
having issues with the vagus nerve or vagal tone. So we have this, this gut-brain connection through the vagus nerve, and that's just one of the many mechanisms which the gut is connected to the brain. But if you have past trauma, chronic stress, if you are even, you know, easily excitable or happy, you know, these types of emotions, especially if they're regularly part of your life, can greatly impact that digestive function and and motility. So the vagus nerve, mental health, those types of things can be very influential on constipation. Also, things like dietary changes, not eating enough fiber, not drinking enough water, and then we'll talk about some lifestyle stuff at the end. So when we look at chronic idiopathic constipation, we kind of start with the foundational things, and then we might even go in to look at certain neurological complications, things like nerve damage, which could be due to things like Lyme disease or spinal cord injuries that could be causing this, this chronic constipation. And then we have functional constipation. So this type of constipation is due to slow movement of stool through the colon or impaired evacuation due to factors like pelvic floor dysfunction or improper muscle coordination during bowel movements. And we might see functional constipation for many different reasons. Maybe you've given birth, maybe you've been using laxatives long-term. This this long-term laxative use can actually create some issues with the pelvic floor muscle. And then it's kind of a double-edged sword where if you have hard stool or a large volume of stool sitting in the bowels for a long period of time, it can cause the muscles around your digestive organs to become weak or fatigued. And a pelvic floor therapist is really the best person to work with if you are suspecting that it could be due to that. Or maybe you don't even suspect it, but you've tried everything and nothing seems to help. Pelvic floor therapists have made a huge influence on my patients' lives. In terms of the improper muscle coordination, I mentioned Lyme disease, neurological conditions, those types of things can impact the the movement of the muscles through our digestive tract. I've also seen in more serious cases of chronic underfueling, we have to remember that our muscles in our digestive tract are just like other muscles in our body. And if we're not getting enough fuel, we're not getting enough protein, then we're going to actually see some atrophy and dysfunction in the, the smooth muscle contraction of our gastrointestinal tract. Travel-related constipation is very common, and I have struggled with this myself in the past, but I feel like I've got a great routine that, that works for me, and I've actually shared a lot of these tips with my patients, and it's really cool to have them come back and say, I can't remember the last time I went away on a trip and didn't struggle with constipation. So... I'm going to share some of those tips with you with regards to travel. So the first one is to really try to continue to eat on a regular schedule. Coming back to the what goes in must come out mentality. If you're going away and traveling, you might skip meals or, you know, not eat breakfast or, you know, you're eating different foods. Just try your best to stay on a fairly similar regimen to what you would be eating like at home. And this would probably be after meeting with a dietitian because maybe you don't know 
how you should be eating at home for constipation. So you want to get regular meals in. You don't want to just prioritize like snack type foods. It's best to have like nice, warm, rich type meals, meaning ones that have oils and then ones that have cooked vegetables and proteins. I tend to see that when patients do a lot of snack type meals or foods, then they don't see the same consistency or frequency of bowel movements as they would if they were eating those balanced, regular meals. So try to eat on a regular schedule. Bring snacks with you, certain types of snacks that you can travel with that really help with constipation include things like kiwis. Uh, There was actually a research study that found that kiwis are incredibly beneficial for constipation. It was two green kiwi fruits per day or three golden kiwi fruits per day were just as effective as, say, psyllium husk at helping with these adults who struggled with chronic constipation. So you can travel with kiwis. I've done it before, and they travel really well, and they make a great snack or a little dessert at the end of your meal. So traveling with things like kiwis, you could bring other fruits with you like apples, which can really help with constipation, dried fruits, things like prunes or dates or raisins. You could put together a little trail mix with pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, walnuts. Those are also some really great foods to help with constipation. And then there are certain protein bars out there that that can be great choices um, that do contain natural fibers. You really want to try to stay away from the like soluble corn fibers. Those types of things can cause a lot of gas. So pack great high fiber snacks, eat regular meals, uh, bring an empty water bottle with you. And this will really help to motivate you to stay hydrated. And if you do struggle with staying hydrated, you might also consider bringing some electrolytes so that that will kind of motivate you and keep you interested in drinking that water. Also moving your body. So if you're traveling and you're very sedentary, try to prioritize getting up and going for a walk. You could do this in the airport. You could, you know, walk around your hotel room. You could go for a morning walk if you're on a beautiful vacation spot. So just trying to move your body in some way that is maybe gentle if you're someone who experiences a lot of stress being out of your typical environment, which is something that can also cause constipation when you travel. Time zone shifts. So if you're switching time zones, really just do your best to continue to eat on re- at regular intervals and get adjusted to the new time zone as quickly as possible. So even if you're not hungry at that time because it's not your typical time to eat, just try to eat when that typical new time would be. And that should help you also maintain that regularity. If all else fails, there are some natural things that I personally always bring with me. I bring my probiotic, which can act as a natural prokinetic. I take a broad spectrum probiotic every day that really helps to support regularity, immune function. I also bring magnesium. Um, I prefer a blend of magnesium Uh, citrate, magnesium glycinate, so that I get some of the benefits for bowels, but also sleep and stress. And then you could also think about bringing certain fiber supplements that we'll talk about in a little bit, but like a little baggie of psyllium husk or um, 
Sun fiber is one that I really like to have clients take that's low FODMAP, as is psyllium. Psyllium is low FODMAP as well. But you could bring those kind of as a way to just support your body if you know that you're someone that's prone to uh, the challenging travel constipation. And of course, it's no fun. You want to be able to enjoy your vacation and feel really good. The next type of constipation is secondary constipation. And this is a result of an underlying medical condition or certain medications. So we already talked about SSRIs. There's other medication like opioids that can slow down motility and cause changes in the gut microbiota. Some specific examples of underlying medical conditions that I often see in my practice include hypothyroidism, neurological disorders like MS, diabetes, and also having any sort of autoimmune or inflammatory type condition can also alter uh, the, the motility in your stomach. So those types of things you know, need to be taken on a case-by-case basis. We're looking at root cause, we're looking at inflammation, we're looking at blood sugar balance, all of those things when it comes to addressing secondary constipation. And then we have pregnancy-related constipation. So if, if you're listening to this and you've been pregnant before, you probably understand that there is a growing baby in your uterus, and this is putting pressure on your intestines. You might be taking an iron supplement if your iron is low. You might be taking a calcium supplement if you're in the trimester where you're growing your baby's bones. So there's a lot of different things that can happen during pregnancy, and there are not too many options during pregnancy because there are so many contraindications with certain herbs, Um, but things like magnesium and psyllium, um, these have been shown as far as my research to be safe when you are pregnant. So there are options in addition to, you know, eating enough fiber, trying to move your body, staying hydrated, those types of things to help keep you comfortable. There are also hormonal changes that outside of pregnancy can impact motility because we have these receptors in our gut for estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and all of these hormones can elicit changes in the motility that we have. So if you have, for example, if you're a menstruating female and you notice that you get more constipated right before your period, that's because you have this massive surge of progesterone that is slowing down motility in the gut. So you can even just think of that in the sense of your monthly cycle, if that's applicable to you, and you can see that those hormonal shifts can change the motility of your gut. Now, if your hormones are imbalanced, so maybe you are dealing with you know estrogen dominance or low estrogen or low progesterone, you're almost always going to see changes in digestion during this time. And this also goes for menopause. So the goal with that is, again, addressing the root cause. We want to try to balance the hormones so that we don't have these dramatic swings in motility. And on the other side of that coin is the conversation of how constipation can impact our hormones, right? So if you are not having a daily bowel movement, at least one or two bowel movements per day, then your liver is basically metabolizing estrogen. It's sending it to the stool to be excreted. And because it's not, it's going back into circulation, which can contribute to estrogen dominant type symptoms. So when I did a a questionnaire on Instagram, someone asked, how can this impact fertility and hormone balance? Well, that is one of the many mechanisms, but you can also see 
dysbiosis or imbalance of bacteria in the gut because things are not moving, right? When things are not moving, we're going to see a lot more fermentation. We're going to give those not so friendly microbes in our gut the chance to overgrow and they're going to, you know, produce toxins and create inflammation and potentially increase our risk for things like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So it absolutely can impact your hormones and fertility because we're not detoxifying and we're not creating a healthy environment in the gut by not regularly having bowel movements. Another type of constipation is obstructive constipation. And this type occurs when there's a physical obstruction in the colon or the rectum. So things like colon cancer, polyps, or maybe you have narrowing of the colon for whatever reason. So again, we'd have to treat the root cause of this, but getting regular colonoscopies is really helpful for detecting polyps or colon cancer and working with your physician to determine if there could be a potential obstruction, which would be something that we'd really want to take care of. There are several different types of laxatives, and they all function in different ways. And this is important to understand because if you need something to bulk up your stool, maybe because you're on a low-carbohydrate diet or you're on a low-FODMAP diet, and you end up taking something like magnesium citrate, which is more of an osmotic laxative, then you're not going to see any benefits, right? So we want to choose the right laxative that is appropriate for what is the root cause of what's going on. And of course, if we treat the root cause, hopefully we're not going to need these types of modalities long term. The first type is bulk laxatives. So these are known as fiber laxatives. And they're known as this because this is what fiber does. This is what the carbohydrates do. They work by adding bulk to the stool. By adding this bulk, you stimulate the natural movement of our intestines to have a satisfying, healthy bowel movement. These laxatives are typically made from soluble or insoluble fiber, which are two types of fiber that are naturally found in a wide variety of fruits and vegetables. Examples of bulk laxatives include things like psyllium husk, which is the main ingredient in Metamucil, methyl cellulose, wheat bran, benefiber. These are common ones that you might see at the drugstore. Osmotic laxatives work differently by drawing water into our intestines, which helps to soften the stool and help it move more easily through the colon. And they include things like milk of magnesia, polyethylene glycol, which is Miralax, lactulose, Kiwi fruit, prunes, dried fruits, these, these all have natural osmotic effects in our digestive tract. And then Epsom salts, magnesium sulfate, so taking an Epsom salt bath. And then we have stimulant laxatives. So stimulant laxatives are pretty much what they sound like. They stimulate the intestinal lining, helping us to have a bowel movement. They also increase rhythmic contractions of the intestines, known as peristalsis, and they're generally considered to be much stronger and used for short-term relief. A great example of this is, I don't know if anyone is familiar with the brand Traditional Medicinals, they have a tea called Smooth Move. And I would argue that when I hear my patient's experience of how they feel when they take Senna, for example, uh, it's not very smooth, it's pretty abrupt, and they are triggered to have to go to the bathroom pretty quickly. 
not right after drinking it, but when it when it actually gets into the system and, and works as a stimulant. So some examples, as I mentioned, senna, uh, castor oil can also be a stimulant laxative. Dolcolax is another over-the-counter. And then Sagra de Cascara, which is actually was new to me, I had that as a request from an Instagram poll for someone who was asking me to review this. And that is something that does not have a ton of research behind it, but has been shown to kind of irritate the intestinal lining similar to Senna in order to produce a bowel movement. Aloe vera is one that I couldn't quite classify. It's been shown to have some mild laxative effects, but it really doesn't fit into one of the main categories, although it can be really beneficial for patients who have uh, constipation. I, From the research that I had done, um, it could be a potential stimulant laxative, but there are also other benefits to aloe like electrolytes and inflammation. So it could be acting you know, through other mechanisms in the digestive tract. And then probiotics, which are not laxatives themselves, but there are some specific probiotic strains that have been able to directly improve bowel movements and overall digestive function through many different mechanisms, which I'm not going to go in depth into here, but uh, they can have that prokinetic effect where they're just helping to stimulate bowel movements, but they can also help to reduce inflammation, improve immune function, improve the gut li- the integrity of the gut lining. And so all of those things would then lead to more regular bowel movements and prevention of constipation. When we look at the research with probiotics and constipation, or honestly, probiotics in general in research, it's really important not to get too hung up on individual strains. But with constipation, there is a good amount of research to support the use of Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a yeast-based probiotic for patients with IBSD, so IBS diarrhea type. And I will say in practice, that's been a very efficient probiotic with patients who have more of a looser stool. And it can really help to create a more form stool in patients who even have constipation. So we might still use the yeast-based probiotic, but we might use it in addition to, say, a lactobacillus bifido blend, which in my practice has been shown to be the most effective at supporting patients with constipation. And just to give you some ideas of case studies with patients who have tried the lactobacillus bifido blends, I've had patients see relief from constipation within 24 to 48 hours of taking a lactobacillus bifido blend. So I really advise patients individually. There are certain cases where those broad spectrum blends aren't the best choice. And of course, again, the root cause is always really important. I do have concerns with long-term dependence on laxatives, even natural laxatives like Senna. Laxatives can cause dehydration, which can be severe, They can reduce our absorption of electrolytes. They can disturb mineral balance like magnesium, sodium, potassium. They have been proposed. I really have not seen significant evidence on this, but they have been proposed to contribute to an overstretched or lazy colon. And I've spoken to pelvic floor therapists who have 
you know, really confirmed this with patients that they've seen who have been using laxative use, but that doesn't mean that there's no hope if you have been dealing with this. And I will say I've had clients who were taking incredibly high doses of laxatives and we've helped them come off from diet, lifestyle, and addressing underlying imbalances. There is a good amount of research to provoke concern from me as a dietitian on the long-term use of Senna. Uh, There's some research that shows that there have been some adverse events that have been described in several cases clinically, um, including things like liver injury, having some damage to the cells in the colon, uh, and even abnormal growth in the colon. So I would not suggest using Senna long-term. Short-term, I think it's a great option, especially if you are really struggling and you know some of the foods that we talk about, things like sweet potatoes, nuts, seeds, beans, those types of things are not working. But Senna, I really would encourage patients to not use on a daily basis. That really goes for any medication or laxative that we're relying on for having a regular bowel movement. There are obviously going to be cases where you're going to need to use these medications long term, but for the majority of us healthy individuals who do not have some sort of damage to our intestines or structural issues that really can't be resolved, then we shouldn't be relying on these medications, especially when we see some clinical concerns in the research. One of the questions that I got on social media was, if you have been dependent on these types of laxatives, how can you get off of them? So this isn't medical advice, but I'm going to use a case study example, just a hypothetical one, and talk about how I would address it from a nutrition and lifestyle perspective. So if a client came to me on chronic laxative abuse, which is a very common thing, we typically start with dietary stuff. If they did testing prior, like a SIBO test or a stool test, we may have to address underlying imbalances, things like SIBO, especially methane-dominant SIBO, which is going to cause constipation or candida. Then we want to make sure that that's integrated into our program, but we're always starting with foundational things. Are you eating enough food? Are you eating regularly? Are you eating enough of each macronutrient? carbohydrates to bulk the stool, fats to lubricate the stool, fiber to help bulk up the stool. So we want to make sure that we're getting all of the different nutrients that we need in order to support optimal digestion. Hydration. Are we drinking enough water? How do our minerals look, right? If we don't have enough magnesium or sodium or potassium, we're going to see altered motility in the gut. So we really start with those foundational things, lifestyle, diet, sleep, And then we might dive into addressing imbalances like dysbiosis, imbalance of good or or commensal bacteria, um, looking at parasites or SIBO. And during that process of a wean, we may even incorporate some natural remedies, things like magnesium citrate or oxide. We might incorporate aloe juice into smoothies in the morning to help support motility. And we slowly just bring down the dose of the laxative that they may have been using. Even if it's even if it was very high doses of magnesium, we would still try to taper it down to a, an amount that is generally considered safe for, for consumption on a regular basis. 
Magnesium has a good amount of research for many different things. It can be effective for relieving constipation through several different mechanisms. And there's different types of magnesium. Citrate and oxide are typically the two that I use for constipation. Magnesium works by attracting water into the intestines, helping to soften the stool and make it easier to pass. It's available over the counter, and the recommended dose to treat constipation is typically 240 to 400 milligrams per day, specifically for adults. More than this, I wouldn't recommend taking more than 400, 3 to 400 milligrams per day based on the research that I've seen. But of course, you always want to speak to your healthcare provider and make sure that you have an individualized approach. Food can play a significant role in supporting constipation. And when you look at the research, there's not a ton on specific foods for chronic constipation, but there is a good amount for kiwis, which is why you'll see me talk about kiwis all the time. But kiwis are among a few other foods or supplements that have been shown in research to help with constipation. So you've got kiwis, we've got psyllium husk, dried fruits, things like prunes and figs. We have fermented dairy products like kefir, and then we also have flaxseed. So we're going to kind of walk through just a few of those briefly, starting with kiwi, of course, why wouldn't we? But kiwi fruit, I know I mentioned earlier three to two kiwis per day, but there are studies that show just one kiwi per day was shown to improve bowel movements in a six-week study, for example. And there's this enzyme in kiwis called actinidin, which actually enhances protein digestion and decreases gastrointestinal transit time. So the mechanism of this actinidin is still unclear, but they have a bunch of different theories about how this might impact motility. And there's a lot of other foods that have protease cysteines apart from actinidine, which could potentially be effective for chronic constipation. And that's found in pineapple, papaya, and figs. So eat your kiwis one a day or three if you're in the mood for it, but they're a really incredible way to improve regular bowel movements. And and a key point to make too, when you look at these research studies is you have to think about the patient, right? If the patient is having resolve in, in their constipation, that's great. But if as a result of, you know, prunes or other dried fruits that they're having other symptoms, so discomfort, gas, bloating, then is it really that effective of a treatment if we're really thinking about patient outcomes? And kiwis were one of those foods that didn't come with those other side effects based on the self-reports from these subjects. Things like dried fruits, like the prunes, for example, subjects would report that they had worse symptoms of things like gas and bloating. And this could be due to many different things, but likely due to the high FODMAP content of these dried fruits. Kiwis were shown to be more effective than Metamucil, which is basically just psyllium husk in stool consistency. Seed, due to its linoleic acid content and its high amount of soluble and insoluble fiber. And then another study suggested that probiotics and fermented milk can improve defecation in constipated patients. 
the mechanism of how the fermented milk helped with constipation is poorly understood, but I could come up with a million different ways right now, but I'm not going to bore you with that. So that could be a great thing to incorporate into your diet. So thinking of kefir, which is fermented milk, uh, add that to a smoothie. It's got a little bit of a tangy taste to it. Get out to a smoothie. You could make chia pudding out of it. I've even made delicious salad dressings with it. It's kind of a good replacement for buttermilk. So that's something that you could consider in including in your diet. In my practice, I will say some of the most effective foods for my patients and for my own personal experience includes walnuts, sweet potatoes, oats, flaxseed, cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, other leafy greens like spinach. Those always do the trick. Um, nuts and seeds and lentils and beans. Now, of course, diet is always individualized, so you want to make sure that just because it worked for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. There are certain foods that I will say are really good for causing constipation in my practice, and I want to share those with you because they're not always very well known. The first one is chia seeds. Now, chia seeds for some people might really help with digestion and constipation, but for a lot of my clients, their lived experience is that chia seeds can actually be more binding. The second food is green bananas. And this is really my favorite recommendation for patients who struggle with the runner's diarrhea is that I'll have them consume green bananas either before or during their runs, and it is a tried and true effective treatment. So if you're struggling with constipation, do not eat green bananas. In fact, you'd want to eat the opposite. You'd want the bananas to be more yellow. And the last one is basically any food that you are sensitive to or have an intolerance to. So people often think of food intolerances and sensitivities as causing diarrhea, bloat, pain, but they can actually cause constipation. And there's lots of different testing that we use at Nutrition Rewired to determine what types of imbalances you might have. The GI map is amazing. It looks at parasites. It looks at H. pylori, candida, leaky gut, immune function in the gut, antigliadin, which is a marker of gluten sensitivity. So we, we use testing, and that can really help us pinpoint the root cause. And then there's other testing that can be helpful if that isn't giving us enough of the big picture, including hormone imbalance, blood tests, breath tests for SIBO, and so much more. And the last thing that we want to talk about is lifestyle habits that are important for preventing constipation. Alcohol is a big gut irritant, and it can also interfere with metabolism of certain hormones and toxins in the body. So reducing your alcohol intake is number one. Number two is making sure that you are not constantly stressed. And this, for me, is something that I really have to work at. So every 60 to 90 minutes during the day, I'm doing something that is restorative, which might be putting my legs up the wall. It might be taking five deep breaths, but my nervous system can get really wrapped up and cause constipation. So stress management is absolutely key. My third lifestyle tip is to regularly move your body. 
And it's important that you find the sweet spot for you. So if you're doing high intensity exercise all the time, your blood flow is not prioritizing digestion in your belly, right? So you want to have a good balance of higher intensity exercise, if that's something that you care about, and then lower intensity exercise. Things like walking, yoga, meditation, all of those really help to support blood flow, digestion, mood, which helps with digestion, and also overall health. So I hope this episode was helpful. I do take one-on-one clients and do group coaching and have other dietitians on my team who can support you, and we'd love to help you optimize your digestion. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you're interested in working one-on-one with one of our dietitians, you can go to nutritionrewired.com where you can also find functional lab testing that you can order and do at the comfort of your own home or just printing out a lab slip and going to a local Quest Labs. This has been a great addition to our practice. We've been doing it for several years and it really allows us to personalize the service that the clients get where they learn more about their hormones, their digestive health with stool testing and their blood work to look at things like cardiovascular health, inflammation, and so much more. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.